Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. As always, as I start out every week, I say this is my absolute favorite time of the week, even if we are doing it later live this today than I normally do because my guest, as you can see on the other side of the screen, Chester Santos, the international man of memory, he's on the West Coast. And like me, he's not this super early morning person. So I said, hey, why don't we shift the time a little bit? so that everybody can be at their best, at their optimum, because if you are working in business and you have set yourself some completely unrealistic goals of saying that I will get up every day at five o'clock in the morning and do this, even if your optimal time of the day is 10 a.m. in the morning, then you've already started yourself in a deficit. So I'm a firm believer of let's make this show and let's make your lives better by introducing you to amazing people who are making a difference in the world by living their passions, by doing what they do because they have a gift for it, because they want to make a difference in the world. And I got to meet this man on the other side of this Zoom screen through a previous guest I had on the show, Mike Faith, the CEO of headsets.com. I did an episode with him about two months ago. And I always ask my guests, do you know somebody that's really cool, really different that you think would be a great guest? And he immediately, immediately said, you have to have Chester on the show. So I started researching Chester, talking to him, and I went, this guy is so cool. And not just because I've been having a lot of memory issues. <laughs> I think that nowadays it's even more important with the advent of phones where they're constantly telling us the phone numbers we should call. We don't remember them anymore that in times of isolation, we need to begin thinking more clearly about what is important to us and remember those things. So Chester, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. And I love how you always wear your hat. I mean, every time we talked, you have your hat. Every video I've ever seen of you, you've got your hat on. I need to know where did that come from? Yeah, so just a while back, um, it's been at least 10 years now, I hired a branding team to come up with a, a look and feel for the international man of memory, um, which is what I go by <laughs> Um, and you know, they developed a website and, and all of this, but a part of that was even hiring a stylist to come up with a look for the international man of the memory. And, um, the stylist picked out uh, a fedora type hat and I really just, uh, I enjoy it. Now I have, well, at one point I had about 50 hats. Now I'm down to like 25 plus hats, different hats. <laughs> Did did the other hats go away during the COVID purge that seems to be happening to everybody or the Marie Kondo thing? Or was there another reason why you purged your hats down? Yeah, I just, when I moved, I had to find uh, more space, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I happen to love the hats. I think it's a great look. And the first time I saw a picture of you when Mike had recommended I have you on the show, you know, of course, the first thing you do is Google somebody. And I went, oh, it's 
kind of like an Indiana Jones, Humphrey Bogart, and Casablanca kind of thing. I, lo- I love that. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds then, good to me. <laughs> but then what was really cool, you know, you talked about it as being part of your branding, right? And this show is all about the questions and it's about helping people figure out their business stuff, right? Branding is an essential element of every business, whether we think of it as a subtle or not so subtle thing. Memory to me is the biggest kind of branding we could ever have. Probably people don't think of memory as branding, but you remember the companies that remember you, right? And that remember details about you, that care about you as a client. And I'm, I've been getting an email lately from this group in Florida that does women leader stuff. And they seem to not pay attention to anything I'm saying, that they know nothing about me. Somehow I got on some list somewhere. They don't seem to know a single thing about me because they're marketing It's just so generic. With memory and the international amount of memory that you're doing, what does memory in your mind mean to a business? Yeah, so there are really just so many ways as to uh, how memory can impact business. You hit on something there, basically showing that you care showing uh, your interest in that individual or that company. So when you meet with them, uh, you're able to say, hey, I learned these five, 10 key things about your company or your current initiatives. Uh, Here are some things I learned about your competitors. Here are some things I learned about how your current offerings are advantageous over what they're offering. If you can do that when you get into a meeting with a client or a potential client and they see that you just know it, you just know this stuff, you're not looking up uh, a bunch of notes to to find all this uh, um, find all of this out. Uh, you're just really impressive. They notice that they they feel that you've gone above and beyond. You really do care about them. You care about uh, their business. So that's one way in which memory skills can help you in business. There are quite a lot of other ways as as well. Well, let, let's go into them a little bit because. You know, I think of all the times when I had my tech company that I would go into a client, you know, and you'd research a client quite a bit, but it was how you linked things together that you might have read in different places or heard that seemed to have more of an impact than just running off a list of things. Does that use like different areas of memory, creating those linkages versus remembering a list? And and is that, do you think, one of the only kinds of memory that is useful in business or in life situations? Well, what you're referring to there, being able to make these connections, you're not able to do it if you're lacking in knowledge. So in other words, if you have person A that has knowledge of you know, one and two things, right? When they're presented with something new, uh, it's very limited what types of new connections, new ideas they're able to come up with. If you have another person B that has knowledge in one, two, three, four, five different areas, when you're having a conversation with them about your company, all sorts of other ideas, possibilities will come to mind because they have a broader knowledge base. 
So part of learning and memory and part of the skills that I help people to develop is also really uh, building up your knowledge, your knowledge bank. Um, so that's one way in which you will have definitely more connections, even more creativity, believe it or not, if you have uh, good memory skills. I was thinking about you last night when I was watching Midway. It was the recent version of the World War II Battle of Midway. Um, I think it came out 2020, the beginning of 2020. Are you familiar with the movie? I haven't seen it yet. I know that it was nominated for some things, but I, I haven't okay. uh, haven't seen it yet. Well, there's a scene in in the movie where they're talking about the code breaker guys, the intelligence guys who are trying to figure out when the Japanese and what the Japanese are going to do post Pearl Harbor. And um, the general, the admiral, sorry, Navy admiral gets introduced to the, the code breaking team and the guy is there in like a smoking jacket and fuzzy slippers because they're in a really cold room. Right. And he's trying to explain how code breaking works and why, how this guy's brain works. And this is what made me think of you when he was describing and he goes, well, when we're looking at intelligence, we get these snippets, right? We get these little pieces here that maybe we can break and these snippets here and describing this man that I can't think of his name, Laughlin or something like that. They said, what he's really amazing at is he doesn't forget anything. He remembers every piece of snippet that he has seen that come through the code room. And then he's able to put all those disparate pieces together, knowledge, into some semblance of wisdom that becomes useful information down the road. When I was thinking about today's show, I went, that's really the perfect form of memory, right? Of having a good memory is to be able to take what seem like seemingly unconnected pieces and somehow put them together, not in conspiracy theory things, but in, in reality. Is that a trainable skill or not a trainable skill? Uh, I mean, it definitely is because when you, it's about improving your ability to be able to remember, uh, store information in your memory bank. Once it becomes very easy for you to do that, uh, you'll find that you are encoding all of this information or at least much more of it into uh, your memory so that you can retrieve it, have access to it later to uh, build all of these uh, interesting connections when you're presented with new information. So that's really my area is helping people to make it much easier to commit to memory things that they might uh, feel that could, could be useful in the future. Have you always had a passion for memory? Um, you know, I just growing up was somehow, I seem to be naturally good at remembering things. I didn't really have a methodology at all. And people would often comment to me, wow, you have a really good memory. And it just so happened that one night I was flipping channels. I caught a segment on ABC's 2020 there was a segment about the United States memory championship. And I became really interested because people my whole life had been saying to me that I had a really good memory. So I thought, you know, well, maybe I can do well in this competition, but I, I quickly found out that although I probably was above average, I wasn't near the level of the best people 
uh, in the United States, what they were doing in these events, memorizing decks of playing cards, hundreds of computer generated random digits, hundreds of names in just, in just minutes. Um, I wasn't on that level. So then I became interested in finding out, okay, how can I get better? I'm already pretty good. How can I magnify my memory from where it's currently at? And that's when I started doing research into memory improvement. Eventually I did manage to win uh, the United States memory championship. And since then I've spent now the last 12 plus years training other people around the world. Now people in more than 30 different countries on how they can develop powerful memory skills and use those skills to be more successful in one's career, personal life, and also really to help kids out in school as well. Yeah. I've always found that memory I was always told I had a really good memory, especially to visual things, but I felt like I've lost it over the years. And I don't know if it's because I'm not exercising those muscles as much anymore, or if there's something else going on, like in the brain. I'm 57 now. So, you know, they always say as you get older, some of the, you lose some of that memory access stuff. I'd like to believe that that's not true, that if you keep exercising the brain like a muscle and that you can build that up, you said that you've done a lot of research, you've done a lot of training on memory. I know you're not a doctor or anything, but when you work with your clients, are there some people that there you can't help because they need to go to a doctor or is it something that anybody can learn to some level? Yeah, well, if there is a, a medical condition that's hindering their memory, then uh, obviously that's not my area because I'm, I'm not a doctor. So I, I actually don't work with people that have Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia. And really my area is not helping people that are worried about their memory as they're getting older. My main focus is on business professionals. But what I will say is that what you described, I get a lot of people in my workshops uh, that tell me, you know, I used to be so good at remembering things when back in high school and college. I, I, people would say I had a phenomenal memory, but now I'm having really a lot of memory difficulties. Um, when you think about it, this makes sense because when you are younger, you're using your memory a lot more, right? So when we were in uh, kindergarten, elementary school, junior high, high school, college, grad school, for some people throughout all of those years, you're constantly challenged to learn a lot of new information from a wide variety of areas. You're always tested on your recall for quizzes, exams, to write papers. When you first start a new job, you have to remember a lot of things and recall them in order to perform your job functions right. properly. But then a lot of us enter this 20, 30, 40 plus year period where we're all of a sudden we're just doing the same types of things day in and day out. Really everything's just becoming a routine, right? And also our brains are less stimulated in general later in life, right? When you were in, earlier in your life, when you were younger, a lot was new to you, right? right? Your brain was stimulated in so many different ways, but we all reach a certain point in our lives where, you know what? Not that much is very new to us anymore, right? So the positive aspect of this is if you make it a point to exercise your memory, work it out, keep your brain very stimulated, you can keep your memory strong and in fact, improve it at any age. I have people uh, that have come to my workshops from ages about eight all the way up to people in their 90s. People take the workshop for various reasons, but I, I have seen 
people in, there in the class in their 60s and 70s that completely outperform the working professionals in their 20s and 30s in terms of the memory tasks and the workshop. I had a woman uh, one year, we're Facebook friends now. Um, she was at that time 85 years old and she didn't make one mistake the entire day in the workshop. Everyone was just totally amazed with her. But then, you know, I was talking with her that day and now I see her Facebook posts and she's always, if she's not taking some kind of class, she's attending like an art function or something like that. So clearly she's made it a point to keep herself very mentally active, mentally stimulated. And I, I, I have a feeling that this is part of how she's staying razor sharp, even into her mid eighties and in the world memory championship, when I represented the United States, there was a guy there that kicked my butt badly. He was in his late sixties. So decades older than me. And, you know, I was nowhere close to that guy. He memorized the entire dictionary advanced learners edition in English and Chinese and Chinese um, and Chinese. Yeah. The media were there filming it and people in the audience would yell out uh, just random words. And he would say, Oh, that one's on page 737 row three. And he was right. Um, every single time. So even later in your years, you can have a razor sharp memory, but you really do need to, to work at it. You'll probably notice just talking with friends, business professionals, entrepreneurs, you'll probably notice nowadays that the average person doesn't remember much at all anymore, right? We, we can't even, we, we get one phone number now and uh, people feel paralyzed. They can't, they can't do it, right? Whereas before, we all used to be able to dial the phone numbers of so many friends, family members. Growing up, parents would give me a, my parents would give me emergency numbers they thought were important for me to know. We all used to be able to do that, but now one phone number scares people. Some people don't even know their own phone number. It's because there's a little bit of dangerous digital dependency going on, I think. We're not using our memory anymore. It's funny that you say that because I can still remember my phone numbers from childhood and like my aunt and uncle and grandparents' phone numbers and all their addresses, but I can't remember my friend's cell phone number that I talk to like 10 times a day or even her house number because I just hit the button and it just takes me to it. And even though I see the number, I'm not physically punching it in. A few years ago when my mom was still alive... I was coming down from my upstairs office and I was walking down the stairs and I tripped and fell and broke my foot and injured myself pretty badly. And I'm laying at the bottom of the stairs. My cell phone was in another room and I was like, how do I get to a phone? And then I remembered that in my mom's bedroom, which was near the base of the stairs, there was a phone. I could probably pull the power cord and get it to drop down. And I got the phone and I'm going, I don't remember anybody's phone number. I didn't want to call 911. I wanted to call a neighbor. So I'm scrolling back through the caller ID, but every caller ID person who had called me recently was somebody out of state. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, well, they can't help me. So finally I remembered one person's phone number. And that was kind of frightening to me that, because I had felt my foot break, but it wasn't like a break where I wanted to call an ambulance and get admitted, right? Just wanted my neighbor to come over, get me in the car and drive, drive me to the ER kind of thing. And it's scary because this is, these are people I talk to constantly. 
So how do yeah. we shift from that, Chester? Is there some techniques that we can begin using now to help us to do that? Yeah. So, you know, what you described, it's it's very common, as I mentioned, nobody knows phone numbers anymore. And it's because we're outsourcing our memory, other mental functions to electronic devices. I think if we realize how easy it, and even fun it can be to commit things to memory, then we'll be encouraged to use our memory more and more. And again, there are tremendous benefits. So it's just learning the right principles Things that I teach people are just turn whatever it is that you want to remember into a visual. Um, so, you know, in the case of names, Mike, I might picture a microphone. Um, Alice, I might picture a white rabbit because that reminds me of Alice in Wonderland. There's a little bit more to it. We can get into names later if, if there's time and if, if there's interest in covering that. But what I wanted to bring up there was turn the information into a visual. Then all you need to do is get more senses involved as you can, because when you do that, you're activating more and more areas of the brain. You're building more and more connections in your mind to the information. Um, I started an episode of PBS's Nova Science, and these brain scientists came on and tried to explain to people at home watching, okay, how does Chester pull off these memory feats? And the brain scientist confirms because he's using more of the brain to encode the information into his memory. And part of that is using more senses. And then really the third thing that you just need to keep in mind is while you are seeing and experiencing uh, all of this happening in your mind, just make it weird, unusual, extraordinary in some way, because there is a psychological aspect to human memory. All of us automatically remember things that are just out there, right? That are, that catch us by surprise um, that are extraordinary in some way. Definitely, if an elephant crashed into the room that you're in now, Laura, you would probably remember that for the rest of your life and always tell that story without even trying to commit it to memory, right? No effort required. Um, and that's because there is this psychological aspect to memory. And, and we don't need to understand how it works. We just need to realize that there is this aspect to human memory, and then we can take advantage of it. And apply it to things that would be useful, names to get more out of business networking, important facts and figures to better demonstrate your expertise, actually show that you know your stuff in your chosen field, right? Foreign language vocabulary, maybe not only for personal development, but also to build better rapport with clients, potential clients that speak other languages, training material that your job might uh, send you to or that your profession might require, Um there's so many areas and you just need to really master those three principles that I went over. As you were speaking, the thoughts that went through my head were how a smell can bring up a memory, how a visual can bring up a memory of a person and their name, how when I was implanting you sort of in my brain, I know you're the international man of memory, but with the hat and some other things for me, it went to the international man of mystery and the mysteries of the brain. And, and you help yeah. unlock like the mystery of the memory of the brain kind of thing. So I guess I was doing it without thinking about it. Yeah. Making all of these connections. Yeah. In your mind. Yeah, totally. Um, so you were, yeah, you're, you seem to, in my opinion, this is in my opinion, just talking with you, um, a couple of times so far over the internet, I just some things that you bring up, it seems that you have a better than average memory. And it's probably because you're good at creating 
these connections in your mind. But some people really are not necessarily as good naturally in figuring out how to come up with these types of connections to help them to remember things. We're all good. You know, some people are more naturally inclined towards math. Some people have more of a natural inclination towards music or sports. But the good news is that if memory is something that you're not uh, naturally inclined towards by just learning the right principles, the right techniques, a little bit of training and practice, you can, you can really get a lot better. Okay. Can you share some of those techniques? Because I know that a lot of my listeners, when I was talking to a few different people, they're like, yeah, I know everybody always says create all these linkages, but they have no idea how to start. It feels like it's overwhelming for them to do that. Yeah, totally. I I would love to do that. So we've got those three main principles in mind. Keep those in mind. Visualization, trying to use additional senses and make it all weird, unusual. If you can, we're going to try to apply that now to quickly memorizing a really long random list of words. It's going to be monkey, iron, rope, kite, house, paper, shoe, worm, envelope, pencil, river, rock, tree, cheese, and dollar. Now, It's okay. So when I have live audiences at a conference or corporate event and I rattle those off, people look at me, I can see people in the audience looking at me as if this guy's crazy. There's no way we're going to be able to do that. Not unless he gives us, you know, a long time to do it. But in fact, you're going to have that committed to memory, Laura, perfectly forwards and backwards. And your listeners um, can follow along. Your audience can follow along with this as they're watching. Uh, All you'll do Simply listen to what I described to you, see and experience it happening in your mind as best you can. Just relax, do that. Um, and okay, you I'm putting have my pen down, down, so I'm not cheating. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're going to use just your brain. People are not used to doing this nowadays. People are used to writing everything down or entering things into well, uh, and, a devi- device here. And memory for me, a lot of it is often tied to the physical aspect of writing. If- yep. Yeah. So, you know, one approach, if I gave people that long list of words, one approach would be someone would write those out over and over again until they feel that it sinks into their head or they would just recite it over and over, read it over and over. But we're going to use a totally different approach that you'll see is actually much more uh, effective and and I think more fun, enjoyable for people. I want for you to just visualize a monkey because that was the first word. So just visualize this monkey in your mind. You can use your, have your eyes open or closed at this point. The monkey is making monkey noises, whatever a monkey would sound like. I'm working on that monkey impression. But the point here is to try and see and hear the monkey in your mind. The monkey now picks up a gigantic iron, like you would iron your clothes with probably is easy to visualize. That was the second word, iron. Now the iron starts to fall, but a rope attaches itself to the iron. Maybe even feel the rope. Let's get more senses involved. Maybe it feels sort of rough, that rope, interact with it. You look up the rope and you see that the other end of the rope is attached to a kite. It's flying around in the air. Maybe try and touch that kite. The kite you see now crashes into the side of a house. Just really see it smash into the house. Picture that the house is completely covered in paper for some strange reason. It's covered in paper. See that in your mind. Next word I had given was paper. Out of nowhere, a shoe appears. It's walking all over the paper. Maybe it's messing it up as it's walking on it. That shoe 
The shoe smells pretty badly, so you decide to investigate and see why. You find a little worm crawling around. Really see that smelly worm. The worm now jumps out of the shoe and into an envelope. Maybe it's going to mail itself. I don't know. <laughs> envelope was next. <laughs> a pencil appears out of thin air. It starts to write all over the envelope. Maybe it's addressing it, that pencil. All right. The pencil now jumps into a river and there's a huge splash like you would not expect to see when it hits the river. The river is crashing up against a giant rock. Picture that. The river's crashing up against, against the rock. The rock flies out of the river. It smashes into a tree. This tree is growing cheese. <laughs> you probably haven't seen a tree like that. This one's growing cheese. And out of each piece of cheese shoots a dollar. Okay. The last word I had given you was dollar. Now you might already know this. People following along might already know the whole list, but I'm going to run through this again in about just 30 seconds. And as I do, your job is to simply replay through this little story that you've created in your mind. So we started off with a monkey. The monkey was dancing around with what it was an iron. What then attached to it was a rope. The other end of the rope was attached to a kite. What did that kite crash into? It was a house. The house was covered in something. It was paper. What walked on the paper? It was a shoe. What was crawling in the shoe? It was a worm. The worm jumped into an envelope. What wrote on that envelope? It was a pencil. The pencil jumped into the river. The river was crashing up against a rock. That rock flew into a tree. What was the tree growing? It was growing cheese. And what came out of the cheese? It was a dollar. So now, Laura, you should be able to pretty easily, I think, give me the entire list of random words. And again, people watching this interview or listening to it can see how they do by just going through the story. Each major object you see in the story will give you the next word. So just give it a try. Okay. So monkey, which was curious, George, for me. <laughs> Yep. Was then iron nice. and then a rope to a kite. So Curious George was flying on the kite, which crashed into a house covered in paper, which was then a shoe wiped onto the paper, yep. which had this really disgusting but cute worm in it, which yeah. jumped into an envelope, which got written on by a pencil which fell into a river, which hit a rock. And then the rock jumped out and hit a tree, which had cheese growing. And then a dollar came out of the cheese. Great job. That Did was awesome. You got 100% correct there, Laura. 100% under pressure there. It's not necessarily easy to do it when I just throw spring it on you like that, but really great job. And you, you got 100%. I think that your audience that might watch this later on, um, they will get, if not 100%, probably close to it. So that simple technique is called the story method. It's just one of many techniques that memory champions like myself use to pull off what at first seemed like you know, crazy memory feats, but there's nothing different about my brain compared to everyone else's. I've just learned these types of techniques that are powerful and effective I've just put in a little bit of training and practice. Now, this doesn't apply to just 
random words. This can apply to even very complex types of information. If people go to my website, they'll find a testimonial from Harvard University. I gave seminars for Harvard's graduate students, Harvard medical students, law students, business students have been through my one and two day programs, really even very complex types of information. It's just about learning to build mental note cards or mental cue cards so that that monkey reminds you of something much broader. Okay. Um, This is important when you're meeting with clients, potential clients, to better demonstrate your expertise. So I've been a one-man business now for 12-plus years. I've had to hire you know, legal people, uh, tech people, PR, marketing, lots of different types of professionals to help me with my business. And when I am meeting with someone that I'm considering hiring I mean, granted, I'm on the extreme end given what I do, but when they're answering a lot of my questions with, you know, I've done some work in that area, but let me re-familiarize myself, I'll get back to you. Or they're like, yeah, this is the figure, they're looking it up. Uh, This, oh yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, this is it, and they're looking everything up. My thought is... Why would I hire you? Why would I pay you all this money when I I can look things up? I'm capable of looking things up myself, right? Right. The only reason why I want to hire someone is because they're the expert in that field, right? Right. I want to hire somebody that to me, at least the impression that I'm getting when I meet with them is, wow, this person clearly knows their stuff. So I haven't hired people when it seems they don't have a lot of knowledge. And on the other hand, when I've met with someone and my impression was, I ended up in some cases calling, you know, friends or family members later. And I said, wow, you won't believe it. Like this uh, PR person is clearly an expert. I mean, she just knew the answer to everything that I asked. I've, I've gone out of my way a lot of times to pay more than I originally budgeted for that particular Project. So definitely memory skills can help you to demonstrate the fact that you're an expert and people have more confidence in you and your ability when you have a razor sharp memory. The impression is, you know, you're at least somewhat intelligent. Now, whether or not memory is directly linked to overall intelligence is up for debate. Some studies will say yes, some studies will say maybe not. It doesn't really matter what the answer is. What really matters is the impression that you're giving off when you're meeting with clients, potential clients and, and colleagues. That test that you, that exercise that you had me do, it wasn't a test. It was an exercise actually gave me faith a bit in myself again, because I feel like my memory retrieval has been off and the fact that I was able to do it. And I told you before the show, when I knew that I had agreed to to be a guinea pig, you know, that I was nervous about it. You're like, Laura, don't be nervous. It'll be fine. But, you know, I, I was nervous about it. And then as you're going through the list, I found my brain sort of disconnected at one point to the words because I was trying so hard to remember the words that I was forgetting them. But what accessed back very quickly when you asked me to to run through it was the story behind it. And I'd never really had that quite happen before. You know, normally I could just access the list. It was just there. But this was a different way of looking at things. And people have always talked about that before, but I've never 
consciously done that before. So thank you, by the way. That was really cool. And it was fun, right? You said monkey. I immediately went Curious George, right? And I could picture Curious George jumping on top of an iron, and then somehow he knocks it off, but there's a rope attached to it and that rope's attached to a kite, you know, and then he's flying along and the kite hits the <laughs> house, you know, and then you're looking at the house. And to me, it was newsprint. It was newspaper. Okay, nice. And, and Curious George was looking at the newspaper and then somehow that the newspaper falls off the house and somebody steps on it to try to stop it from flying away even further, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the shoe was sitting there, but there was like this worm. I can't believe I'm still remembering this list. There's this worm in it that looked like a cartoon character and its head's coming up going, how'd I end up here? How'd I end up here? You know, let me go home. And somebody's like, well, stick you in an envelope. And well, what do you do in an envelope? You write an address on the envelope. And then I saw the envelope and the pencil going into the water, but it was because we want things to get there quickly. And it hit a rock. Well, it hit the rock because it hit its location and the rock bounced out and all of a sudden it's in a post office in a tree. Yeah. And, and then nice. I don't know quite how I got to cheese, but and then the dollar, uh-huh. it's like, oh, I have to pay to mail. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah. Excellent job there. You have a really good imagination already. And some people, you know, might feel that when they give something like this a try, that, oh, I'm not that creative. I'm not that imaginative. And I really wasn't at first. My prior career to doing what I'm doing now was a software. I was a software engineer. I have a master's degree in software engineering. And I always found that I was more left brain, more uh, logical. I didn't feel I was necessary, that I necessarily had that creativity and imagination part, the right side of the brain. But I've really developed it over the years with training and, and practice. And uh, this is a much more fun and interesting approach uh, to, to use to commit things to memory. And it will also improve the accuracy, the retention of the information. I get people emailing me even months after a conference uh, telling me that they still remember, they want to demonstrate via email that they still know all of the words. So it's very effective. And again, there are so many practical uses. I talked about meeting with clients, potential clients. This could also be for giving a presentation, minimizing the amount of notes. So those images might represent key points. If I, for instance, were going to give a talk about healthcare in the United States, I might use a stethoscope as the first part of the story, the first image. Stethoscope just reminds me of healthcare. Uh, The first thing I want to cover in my presentation is the high cost of healthcare in the United States maybe shooting out of the stethoscope or all of these $100 bills. Next, I want to cover in my presentation that in order to get certain things covered, a lot of times we need to find a way to navigate through or cut through a lot of red tape, maybe wrapping itself around the $100 bills is all of this red tape. So you see there how even the simple story method could be used to memorize key points and sub points of a presentation, thereby at least reducing the amount of notes that you use, or maybe the lessening what you have to put on the slide. You don't have to pack the slide full of a bunch of information. You're definitely going to be a more persuasive, more engaging speaker if you can do that. And again, these are just a few things in this short interview, but there are a lot of practical applications for some really simple to learn techniques. Now, a lot of meetings are being held on Zoom as as we're doing here today. A lot of conferences, webinars, 
I have a lot of speakers that are on here and, and you talk, you just talked about, you know, the stethoscope visuals. <clears throat> I mean, that's what I do for my presentations. I just have visuals up there and it triggers nice. me to know what I want to talk about versus cool. throwing slides up there with lots of words on them. But cool. I know for a lot of my listeners, they feel like they're on information overload and the presenters on a lot of these things or when you're having a meeting with a potential client, it's almost like you have to look at a lot more things than you would if you were in person with somebody. So when it comes to that, Chester, how do you help somebody pick out what's the thing that they should be trying to create those associations with for memory? Is, does that question make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And I get, I do get asked that question a lot. Unfortunately, that isn't necessarily my area. Um, I feel like each individual professional entrepreneur would know best what types of information are important for them to commit to memory or would be useful for them uh, to remember from a meeting. But the good news is that once you are able to determine or come up with a pattern, like these types of things seem to be beneficial for me to know, then you can apply my area, which is the techniques to help make it easier for you to then, uh, you okay. know, file, file, file all of that away into your memory bank, uh, knowledge bank. Okay. So you're in a meeting, you know what you need to listen for, what are the key pieces that you need to pull together but it's coming at you fast and furious. And yeah. it's not something that you can tell the speaker, just pause. Yeah. What are some things that somebody can do on the fly? I know we have the story with the list, right? But that felt like all of my focus was on that. But if I'm, if I'm listening to a speaker, if I'm listening to a client and I'm trying to gather that, are there techniques that you can share to how, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm asking this in a way that makes sense, that can help you listen and memorize at the same time? Yeah, so definitely in the beginning, I would recommend that you continue to take notes however you're most comfortable. Um, so you mentioned that you like to write things down, so I would continue to do that and then later go back and commit the important things to memory using these types of techniques, definitely in the beginning. Now, as you practice with these, so for instance, we've talked about one technique so far today, the story method. Some people might find that it takes them, uh, you know, it it takes them a lot of time to create that story. Also, they might not be seeing the images in their mind too clearly. With training and practice, you will be able to create those images in your mind much more quickly. You'll see the imagery more uh, clearly, and you'll be able to come up with a story also more quickly. Um, But And eventually, you'll find that you can do it almost as fast as the person is talking. Um, However, it's going to take a while to get there. So that's an event in the United States Memory Championship. They have five people in a row come up on the stage and rattle all this stuff (laughs) off about themselves, and then they'll randomly bring one person out. Okay. What was her birthday? Oh, what was his phone number? Um, so you can get to that level, but, uh, in the beginning, I would definitely recommend to just continue to take notes. However, you're most comfortable and later commit things to memory using these types of techniques. Okay. So you said the story method is one technique. What's another technique? 
Yeah. So there are a lot of, there's a lot to this. I have an, I have an entire online school that, that teaches you this. And it's basically the, the equivalent of my one and two day workshops plus ongoing training. I upload new videos every single month with new fun and interesting exercises for you to do to develop these memory skills. Um, there's a lot to it, but, uh, Let's talk about names, maybe. I think it's, it's always an interesting topic for people. Eventually, we're going to get back to attending uh, conferences and, and other events, and you'll, you'll be getting more out of business networking, for sure, if you can remember people's names. So that would involve a different technique. Um, I talked a little bit about the visual, Mike, a microphone for the name Mike or a white rabbit for uh, maybe the name Alice because it reminds you of Alice in Wonderland, but there's more to it. I would also link that image ideally to something that is unique about the person's look. So if you think, you know, that Alice has cool hair, cool looking hair, maybe the white rabbit is getting tangled up in her hair or something like that. So what happens is the next time you see her or someone you've previously met, all you have to do is ask yourself, what is unique or interesting to me about this person's look, what you personally noticed before is likely what you would notice again. And then the image that you've stored there would come back to you. So if you had noticed the hair before, you'll notice it again. And the white rabbit would remind you of the name Alice. So there are different techniques that you can learn depending on the type of information. And in that online school, I actually would simulate introducing you to people. So part of it is uh, a slideshow. So you'll see pictures. This is Jane, this is Jack and so on. So you'll really get better at what I just described. I, I've noticed that with Zoom, I've had to change the way I remember people's names when you're like in a group of people on something because you know, they're now they're little tiny thumbnails at times yeah. unless they're speaking. I've started linking something in their background to them. Okay. Because people are not necessarily dressing a certain way or whatever. So I'm concerned about the out of context kind of thing if I end up meeting the person in reality. Yeah, I mean, that's a danger. That's going to happen. Uh, if, if you're using the Zoom background, then yeah, you will, you won't have a very good chance to remember the name when you see them outside of Zoom. So um, that's just the way it is, uh, because of creating those connections in your mind, right? So obviously when you're live in person at a conference, you're going to want to use more of those physical features, okay, uh, like great. I mentioned, and they will have those same physical features when you see them out, you know, at the grocery store, you see them at another event in the future. So the technique that I described would be definitely more effective live and in person. You could do as you described, and I, I would actually recommend that on Zoom if you were trying to, if it didn't display the person's uh, names or for a few people didn't display the names, you could use the background in the similar technique, but you, you'll definitely run into that issue when you see them in the real world. Well, I, I'm just so glad that we talked about that because now I'm going to purposefully stay away from the background being a link for me. I need to look at them more and maybe not necessarily look at their hair because people still have a lot of COVID hair going on. You don't, unless your hat is hiding it. Because <laughs> there is some, I, I have some friends out in California that haven't been able to get a haircut in almost a year. 
And we we had them we had them for a few weeks, so I went and got got mine. But I think now they they're closed down again. Okay, yeah. so it's look at a person, maybe a vocal intonation, a way they speak, something like that, that maybe you can link together, or something that they said that connects them together. I mean, I used to take their business cards at an event if somebody handed me a business card, and those are going away. And at the after the event, I would immediately write a note like on the back of their card, some, something that they said, something that connected for me and sort of anchored that in. I, I think that names are so important, but connecting that name to something is, is even more relevant, right? Um, remembering the person's name in your office who cleans up after you. I mean, I always used to remember when I worked corporate and even when I had my own offices, the people that clean the bathrooms, it just realizing people are human and, and knowing who they are. I think that's a really great skill. And thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you've shared so much stuff right now. And I've been watching a lot of your social media, which I love, by the way, Chester, I love well, your you. stuff on social. It is thank so you. cool. Everybody follow Chester on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever he's at. There was one video that I really want to ask you a question about. It's a little bit kind of different than, than what we were just talking about. But I loved your piece on Iceland. The, the glaciers being Earth's memory banks and the, the Ice Memory Project. Oh, yeah. And I'm just really curious. First off, I think you were really there, right? You were really in Iceland or no? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. So I travel around the world um, visiting interesting. Yeah, yeah. International Man of Memory. So part of my current marketing strategy, which is totally in line with the International Man of Memory, is I'm visiting uh, cool and interesting places all over the world and talking about how they relate in some way to the brain or topic of memory. So when I was there, I discovered this uh, incredible fact that I didn't know. Uh, I, I've really been enjoying this, doing this video series uh, on all my social media accounts and that I've been learning so much in doing this. Um, I didn't realize that scientists consider um, yeah, them to glaciers to be the Earth's memory bank. So there's so much information about the Earth's history stored stored inside of them. So it's it's pretty it's pretty fascinating. And yeah, there is the UNESCO the the Ice Memory Project. Yeah, you know, it just I never thought of it that way. I, I knew that the Arctic explorers that are out there, you know, they take these ice cores, you know, and some of them yeah. are you know, like a thousand feet long, they get these really long cores that can tell everything about the earth. But I never thought of it as it's the earth's memory before. And that's got me thinking that everything has a memory, right? Yeah. The, the memory of trees, you can see the rings, you can see what's yep. happened to the environment around them. Our human memory, you know, they when we die and we have, say we donate our body to science, they can kind of tell quite a bit about how we lived based on what our organs look like. And it can tell what our environment was like. Um, Dr. Daniel Amen does 
a lot of brain work and I know I had some brain scans and stuff done and they were like, you've been bit by a tick, haven't you? You've got tick brain. And I'm like, yeah, like kind of, how'd you know that? <laughs> They're like, cause they've done scans for so many years. They yeah. can see these things that happen like in, in the brain. I feel like today I got a glimpse into a part of me that I have been saying no longer existed and you showed me that it still does, but it might look a little different. And I love that you gave my listeners, I'm hoping it's one of the things my listeners took away from it, that maybe if they're saying they don't have a good memory, maybe it's they ha- their memory's fine. They just need to think of a different way of accessing it or putting new things in it. Have you over the years had to change your methods of memory or with your clients tried one method to help them? Cause you work a lot with athletes and CEOs and major business leaders and um, actors, you know, that have to memorize massive scripts. Sometimes they get script changes the morning of, and they have to reprogram their brain for those script changes. It's Is it a one-size-fits-all or not? Uh, really, it isn't. So that's why I teach a wide variety of techniques. So there are many different options. If the story method isn't working for you, you might try a number of other techniques. So there are different approaches. However, I will say with uh, my curriculum, it's always going to involve those three main principles, though. There's always going to be visualization, utilizing additional senses, using your creativity and imagination to make it all crazy and unusual. Those three principles will always apply, but there are many different uh, approaches from there, different techniques from there. So definitely, yeah, if one thing isn't working well for one person, uh, something else might work out very well. And the message that I want to get across is you can have anybody, I really believe just about anyone out there can have an amazing ability to remember whatever they need to remember, but it's just, you've got to put in that training and practice. And I get a lot of people that tell me, again, they used to be good at remembering things, but not so much anymore. But keep in mind that you were using your memory a lot more earlier in your life than you are now. And and things are even worse because we're also outsourcing our memory to electronic devices. So just use your memory more. Um, It can get stronger uh, at any age. And I think that when you learn these types of techniques that we've been talking about today, because it makes it more fun, you're going to be encouraged to use your memory more and more. So it will get stronger really at any age. That's great. And I think your website is memoryschool.net, but let's make sure people know how to connect with you, what's the best way is to reach out to you to see where your resources are so that they can begin learning. Because this was a lot of fun. I still have those that story going through my head of, you know, monkey and iron and so on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you so much again for having me, Laura. If people would like to learn more, if you really want to make this maybe a goal for the new year that's coming up, uh, develop some memory skills to help you out in business, maybe share the techniques with your kids. If you have any kids or grandkids in school, check out memoryschool.net. 
Uh, I would visualize a giant net to remember, remember that's .net. So it's memoryschool.net. And I did set up a coupon code Laura in honor of being on your show. Oh, cool. um, I set it up to be valid for 20 uses. I don't know how many people will be interested, but it should work for the first 20 people to use it. What that will do is set the enrollment fee down to zero. So there's normally a $200 enrollment fee to get started. Uh, that will set That code will set it down to zero. So maybe check it out if you want to develop a more powerful memory for the upcoming new year. I, I love that. And I think with kids doing school a very different way, a lot of parents I've talked to, I don't have any kids, but they say it feels like the kids aren't remembering the teachings like they used to because there was so much more going on that helped them put it into their memory versus on the Zoom. They don't have the focus. They get more easily distracted by things. So this could be a great opportunity for any parents out there too to, um, to do that. So the memoryschool.net, use coupon code Laura. Thank you for doing that. I didn't know you were going to do that. I love that. Thank My you pleasure. so much. Um, and then everybody find Chester on social media, watch his videos. They're really, really cool. I love this guy. I'm so glad Thank Mike you. introduced us. Thank you. I mean, I, I feel, I feel rejuvenated, Chester. I don't know how to say it other than that, because I was really beginning to think I was losing it. No, it's, it's just a matter of exercising that memory a bit. And you're, as I mentioned, I can tell above average, way above average to begin with. And uh, I think if you experiment with this new approach, you'll also enjoy uh, playing around with them and, and even further developing your memory and, and adding to your knowledge bank. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I've really enjoyed talking with you and I, I look forward to keeping in touch with you for sure. Yeah, I definitely want to stay in touch and, and let's, you know, chat about these different things. And to all my listeners out there, memory is more than just remembering a name. It's about remembering those links to people. If you're in business, if you're an entrepreneur, knowing about your clients, knowing about your products, understanding your brand like Chester really, really does, is helpful in setting you up for success. I love the techniques that we learned today, and Chester has so gratefully offered this great opportunity. I'm like, thank you. That was so nice that you did that. So memoryschool.net, use coupon code Laura to bring it down to zero for your enrollment fee. That is just so cool. And at the end of the day, what you have is what you remember, what you bring to every interaction that you have. And for me, one of the ways I do that is through the right questions because the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.